Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace Haiti America's team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action and Task Force on the Americas. We broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, radindymedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode... National Strike, Day 40, a conversation with human rights activists in Peru. And before we start, I just want to make a special note uh, to all of you that this episode is basically a follow-up conversation to our February 2nd episode with Peruvian activists Anahi Duran and Eliana Carlin. And since February 2nd, I have visited Peru on a human rights observation delegation with Misión de Solidaridad Internacional y Derechos Humanos. We were there February 7th through February 13th. So I want, um, we have two activists joining us from Peru and I'm, I'm really, really excited for you uh, to meet them. Our first guest that I will introduce is Clavo O'Brien Moscoso. She is an organizer with the Black Alliance for Peace in the Haiti Americas team. She's originally from Barrios Altos, Lima. She grew up in New Jersey and now lives between both countries. And our second guest is Lainer Ayala Basilo. And I had the opportunity of meeting and working with Lainer in Cusco. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He works in the legal area of the organization Human Rights Without Borders, Cusco, Peru. It is a non-governmental organization that is part of the National Coordinator of Human Rights of Peru, which works in the defense and promotion and education of human rights in the region of Cusco. Also, the organization is carrying out legal processes related to the criminalization of protesters by state repression. And for me personally, that was a big reason uh, that repression of protesters was a, was a big incentive um, for our uh, mission to go and witness a human rights violations in Peru. So before I uh, start our conversation with our guests, I wanna share just a very brief background introduction for all of you. And I have to say, Cloud, this was taken from your Black Agenda uh, article of 15 February, which for the uh, for the audience, I've shared, I will share the link um, in the notes, the program notes for you. So just briefly, uh, because the February 2nd episode is in uh, details, everything that has unfolded in um Peru since December 7th. We gave a very, very lengthy, time, uh, de detailed timeline in that episode. So following up on that episode, here we go. On December 7th, 2020, 
Two, a right-wing coup removed Peru's president, Pedro Castillo Terrones, from power. The predominantly poor indigenous, rural, and Amazonian communities resoundingly and overwhelmingly voted for Castillo, rejecting outright the neoliberal regime installed by the previous governments. Violence not seen since the Alberto Fujimoro dictatorship, 1990 through 2000, has been led by the Peruvian armed forces under orders of coup leader Dina Bolarte, the Fujimorista Fuerza Popular Party, and other political factions. It's been over 67 days since the parliamentary coup led by the right-wing forces of Fuerza Popular with their puppet Dina Bolarte, now commonly referred to as usurper assassin at the helm. And so I think also, Clow, in your article, it says there's more more people have died than there have been days of, of the parliamentary coup government. So uh, that's a pretty uh, key factor. So with that, everyone, I would um, like you to to meet our guests. And um, I think perhaps. Um, where should we start? Let me, I, I guess, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, about the delegation I was on. And then I would like um, Cloud to talk to us about her experience. And then I'll have you meet um, Lehner as well, because I worked directly with him in Cusco taking um, testimony from, from state oppressed victims. So our, um, the delegation that I was on was uh, February 7th through 13. It was organized in Argentina. So there were 19 of us, 18 um, Argentinians and me, be, me being the sole uh, representative of the United States. And we went specifically as civilians and not particularly affiliated with any uh, organization because we did not want to have any sort of political definition attached to us as individuals and attached to our our work. So it was a very open, non-prejudiced um, observation. We started uh, in Lima. We met with uh, university students. I will mention at that particular meeting, uh, the national police were waiting for us to arrive. They sat across the street from the university the entire time we were inside. So that is, you know, really clear what the, you know, <laughs> intention is. I will also mention, and Lainer and Clow can probably attest to that, that most of what we saw, most of what we heard, and most of what we saw was oppression by the by the national police force, not the actual military, national military. And I think this is, is an important point to make because. This is a model that's being used across the Americas to militarize the civilian police. So the militarization is occurring right down in local communities. And it also allows for governments to say their own military has not turned on the population. So the repression is happening right from the community level up with police. And we see this in the United States as well. It's a model being used across the Americas. So we did have that, um, you know, that the police watching us while we were uh, at the university, we did our uh, initial press conference. This was uh, San Marcos in Lima. 
Uh, we did meet with several agricultural cooperatives, took testimony from campesinos who were in from other provinces of Peru in Lima to protest, and to also meet with us and, and share their testimony. One thing that was profound that we participated in was a march on Thursday the 9th at Plaza Dos de Mayo. And um, there was, I don't know, a thousand plus protesters. We were asked, our delegation was asked to join the protest to provide basically, uh, to hold the center and provide basically, I guess, what uh, those of you in South America would call a, a primera linea. So if and when the police started to advance, uh, shut down and shut down the protest, we would be, could stand all 19 of us between the police and the protesters and at least give them some freedom to freely leave. The protest got, as I said, maybe about a thousand people uh, and maybe a half hour. And then at that point, the police did start to advance to break it up. So it's very, very clear that it does not matter if a protest is peaceful or not. The government and the police allow it to only get so large and to last so long before it is dispersed. Now, we did not, that particular evening, we didn't uh, experience any armed fire, any tear gas, and, and we do believe because of what we heard from protesters that it was because of the delegation's presence, but it was very clear the police um, were not gonna let it last for very long or let it get so big. Um, after that, Friday, uh, we broke into smaller groups and were sent throughout the country. I was sent with one other gentleman, an Argentine gentleman, Raul Juarez. He's actually uh, uh, a priest in, in Argentina. And we were sent to Cusco, which is where we uh, worked with the, the Human Rights Without Borders organization. Um, and that, and we worked with Lehner there and uh, we did two days of, of testimony and he was profoundly helpful in uh, encouraging people to come and visit with us, share their stories and allow us to formally take their testimony and, um, and all the evidence that each had, had collected, including, you know, videos and photographs and uh, hospital admittance forms and uh, arrest forms, all, all that kind of data. So, so for me personally, it was a it was a very very intense um, trip. It was extraordinarily important to go. It is very very clear that to me, and I think that Clau and Lanier will attest to that that this is not just today in Peru. This is five hundred years of colonialism, state oppression, oligarchy um, in Latin America and, and the Caribbean. It's a continuation. It is not anything new. And I think for me, that was the most profound and most difficult thing to accept, particularly when we had um, opportunities to speak with uh, you know, people of, um, of Andia, original people, as we say in Latin America, indigenous, as we would say in North America, was really um, 
profound. So with that, I'd like to have our two guests join the conversation. And maybe, Cloud, we can start with you because you have been in Peru uh, working uh, with Black Alliance for Peace and Black Agenda Report. And why don't uh, we start with um, your experiences and what you've been sharing via Black Agenda yeah. Report and Black, Agen and Black Alliance for Peace? Thank you, everyone. Um, thank you for having me and for having this discussion and for Lena. Um, I think it's the work um, that we both have been doing and just human rights organizations and, and activists and, and independent press on the ground has been so important um, because like you read from my article and then just everything we've been seeing, the human rights violations are, are happening daily. There's not a single day that there has not been a massacre, that there's not been one death, that there hasn't been a beating, that there hasn't been a disappearance. We've gotten videos from our comrades that are in are dressed in military garb, in helicopters, taken from Ayacucho. Who knows where they are? Uh, we we don't we still don't know the location of so many of our comrades. Uh, all we can say, all we can say is that this. Like you said, Terry, this has not changed one bit for in 500 years. This is the same situation that has been going on. Um, and I think largely because of that and because of um, President Castillo, has been saying this the whole time since his election, since his campaign, right, uh, has been saying no more poor people in a rich country. This is what motivated the vast majority of indigenous Campesino Amazonian communities throughout up and down all of the all of Peru in the north, central and southern regions, the macro regiones as we say. Uh, even in Lima, right? Like the, the poor regions of Lima overwhelmingly voted for Castillo. Um, because we understand that our lands continue to be pillaged and raped. Just last year, uh, Spanish company Repsol uh, petroleum company. There was a huge, it's almost just, I forget exactly what day it was, but almost exactly a year now, or a little bit over a year now, uh, there was an oil spill off the coast uh, due to, a, I believe it was a hurricane in Indonesia. So obviously the Pacific Ocean is vastly connected, right? Um, a cause an oil spill um, that Repsol has yet to pay and pay any of the taxes, any of the fines that they've been, they've gotten and now under the coup regime, they've been forgiven all fines. So they no longer have to pay for the lives that are still, the, so many of our fishermen communities that used to live daily from the fish can mm -hmm. no longer. And what does the state provide them? Nothing. They have not provided them anything except just corporate giveaways, right? Uh, I believe just yesterday, the uh, age of retirement went from 65 to 75, just like that. No, no conversation. It's just, it's full dictatorship. This does not, this is not going to stop um, until we actually bring this down. And and so a few weeks ago here in Lima, the Consejo Plurinacional de Tawantin Suyo was formed, the Plurinational Council of Tawantin Suyo. Um, right now it's being, um, the vast majority of the people that are involved are, um, the social leaders, union leaders, delegations from the 25 regions throughout Peru. Um, it's uh, it's being organized predominantly from the southern and, and not just southern, but outer regions of Lima. 
uh, and and collectives and and auto self-forming coalitions and organizations are following uh, following the lead of our compañeros. Um, so right now we're going through a moment of understanding and really sussing out through a lot of the infiltration of the organizations that have been happening. We're seeing that a lot of the um, form, a lot of retired police are coming back, coming out of retirement to be uh, what we call here Ternas, uh, which is a specific unit um, in the national police, but essentially they just come back as um, uh, just as civilians. Uh, and they're the ones that go into the marches, start start throwing rocks, start in, uh, instigating to get a rise out of the police. Um, and that's when they start uh, shooting tear gas uh, or, or start shooting rubber bullets um, so these infiltrators are basically people, used to provoke the police. They're yes, they're they're agent provocateurs, right? Yeah. So so mm -hmm. in in the U.S. they always talk about these outside infiltrators, right? Yeah. Uh, the struggle in in Atlanta right now to stop Cop City, which yes. which Black Alliance for Peace is also deeply involved in. Uh, they use the same language, right? The protesters are terrorists. They are outside infiltrators. Who are these people coming into Atlanta? They don't talk about the rich black misleadership class that buys up Atlanta, or which we call the comprador class. They don't talk about the private corporate uh, corporations, right? BlackRock, how much money do they have invested in Atlanta? And how much money is being invested to, to build that cop city, right? Uh, similar situation here, right? So they call us terrorists. They've never actually given any evidence to the fact that there's any financial institutions or zero evidence has been given for this. But you see every single day the newspapers, terroristas, uh, perucos, you know, like constantly in these newspapers that were not being paid off during the Castillo administration now have been receiving their bonuses again in U.S. dollars so quickly going to work uh, to, to spread propaganda for the coup regime. Let me ask you uh, something, and, and Lanier, please feel free to comment on this as well. So, Cloud, what I consistently heard in meetings, in Lima and Cusco both, the majority of the people uh, that voted for Pedro Castillo, that want a change in government that, on all levels, are in the southern provinces. The southern part of Peru uh, is a is land rich in natural resources, lithium and water specifically, but other resources as well. The Balarte government, when it took power December seventh, Dina said she would uh, finish Castillo's term through uh, 2026. Um, that is now going to be through 2024. She tried, I understand, to uh, have election, presidential elections December of 2023. The Congress nullified that, voted against it. So to me, and in listening to people who are watching their land be exploited and pushed off, murdered to get off it, the current government, this coup government, now has basically until 2024 to privatize everything. 
public infrastructure, public institutions, and natural resources. Basically, they have until 2024 to create a fully privatized, full neoliberal government and economy. And to me, that's very similar to what we saw in Honduras in, in 2009 and again in Bolivia in 2019. Is that, and that's why I say this goes back to, you know, 500 years of governments and oligarchy controlling, you know, all the institutions and, and all and all the natural resources. Is that, am I, that's part to me, a, a big part of what's- 100%. Happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so they, they basically have been waiting three decades since the end of the Fujimori dictatorship, patiently waiting on the sidelines, getting a wish list ready of all of the things that they're gonna do once in power. And, and since December 7th have been one by one unleashing yeah. every single thing. So our, the 93 Fujimori dictatorship by law privatizes our resources, our infrastructure, absolutely everything you can think of. Like a lot Chile. of people on the ground here, exactly like Chile, but even with Chile, they did not privatize the copper. Here yeah. they did. Here they absolutely privatized everything, right? So so even with Chile, right, I'm not by any well, means. With the Pinochet think, constitution. Uh, <laughs> with, the Pinoch with the Pinochet constitution, right? Uh, so that, that's one thing that people on the ground say here. Like Even Pinochet was not as, as, as tyrannical as Fukimori, right? Um, and so just, a, I believe it was just a few uh, years ago that um, one of the large, which is projected to be one of the largest uh, reserves of uh, lithium in the world uh, was found in Puno, in the southernmost region, which is uh, closely connected. It, it's, it's their neighbors with Bolivia. And so have seen mm -hmm. since 2005, what a government for the people can actually achieve for the people with the nationalization, industrialization, of their natural resources and those profits or, or all those uh, all that income coming in from those resources going to the community, going to healthcare, going to infrastructure, going to education, things that here, especially people in Puno, don't have. They look to their neighbors and they're like, so we can have it like that because we we are very similar, right? And and these are and especially in Puno, it's very much an Aymara um, community, though not entirely. Uh, so they, they see what their brothers have struggled for and what they've actually been able to achieve and continue to achieve uh, once once there is a power, uh, a government in power that actually serves the interests and needs of the people. Um, so that is exactly a lot of the state contracts, the contratos de leyes, are set to expire uh, late at the, later at the end of this year in 2023, which is exactly why the coup happened when it had to happen. Uh, Lisa Kananu understood, you know, uh, Southcom, Commander General, Laura Richardson, they all understood exactly what needed to take place so that after 30 years of the contracts that Fujimori first uh, installed, that they would continue those same contracts, even under even harsher neoliberal policies than the first time around. Um, so that's exactly right. This is that, you know, on paper, the Fujimori dictatorship ended, nothing has changed. So thank you, Cloud. So Lainer, let's talk about how all of this is affecting the people in your community. And you know, it was with uh, all right, Terry. 
Thank you very much for the invitation. And above all, I want to thank you for using this international media and caring about the critical human rights situation in my country. In my region of Cusco, we have a vulnerable population whose human rights have been violated by the largest companies in the world, as Klaus said. We have, we have the mining, large extractive mining industry. We also have labor, which imports and exports hydrocarbons. We must bear in mind that these uh, territories, according to Amnesty International's records, more than 70 or 80% of the population lives with um, these chemicals in their bodies. So that's how far that we have done. So our state is to the point of segregating selective, being selective and criminalizing people for simply reporting these facts. So this is, as Clau says, that we are living with a dictatorship in which just a few people want to impose themselves on the population, and even more so, there are some people who are experiencing this criminalization and persecution, not only from the state, but also for these from these large mining companies. They are trying to criminalize this by applying uh, complaints, 200,000 uh, souls imposed on people as fines in the case of someone. And when we defend these people, they crim criminalize Oscar Mario Huanca in 2012. Uh, and during the judicial decision, they began to say that the procedure from is from ICA. Just imagine the level of prosecution imposed on human rights defenders in my community. These are people who live off of agriculture and not just mining, people who identify themselves as original peoples or indigenous peoples. These people are tired of this repression. Uh, it's not something new now. It's And it's not just from the time of the Fujimori dictatorship, but they have lived in complete neglect and oblivion for 500 years. And these people uh, from their different committees and platforms and their grassroots organizations have come out to demonstrate against the violence, uh, the repression, and defenseless situation in which they've been left by the state. And fascism has been a strong line of their argues. And they point to places with the interior, Ayacucho, Puno, Cusco, where I am. They have unleashed social conflicts that I don't see a visible, uh, uh, I don't see the end in sight. And it's already been a few months. And more than 1,500 civilians have been wounded. In Cusco, we have the, uh, Human Rights Without Borders has uh, tallied more than 800 people injured. Not These are not small injuries. These are impacts of firearms. And often, they're afraid to go to the hospital because they get separated and discriminated against in the hospitals. What is happening now is that when they show up at the hospital, 
the hospital works together with the prosecutors and the forces of law and order, they get set aside and they begin to investigate them for um, causing public disturbances. Now there are several people who are in preventive custody for nine months saying that simply since they are um, the children of people in the Comuneros, the community organization. So if you, it's like saying that other people have civil rights, but they don't. And when you belong to a native community, you get this kind of treatment. So this is what people are experiencing now. I understand that the executive branch, instead of supporting these just demonstrations, is encouraging the forces of law and order and the military to repress them. And they say, they, they congratulate them saying that they're giving good service. And this is the cr criminalization of protesters and unfortunately that is what we're experiencing. And I could give you more details later about the cases that we're looking about uh, with the leaders and also some minor children and their cases of repression and a citizen who didn't even participate in the demonstration, but who was tortured by the military forces and also paramilitary abuse as well. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. So I guess I, I, guess I will just share um, since I was in Cusco with Lanark that you know, we spent two days taking uh, testimony from uh, yes, or yes, from victimized, repressed people. Most of the people we talked to were students, uh, some as young as fifteen, and um, that was a uh, pretty uh, profound. I. Uh, hard for me to imagine how uh, a police force of its, you know, doing that to its own children. And we also, it was very, very clear. And I, Cloud, this goes back to the whole neoliberal project, I think, was very, very clear that anyone who is even one step to the left of center or even centrist, is considered a threat to the state, a terrorist, a communist, and there's just a complete attempt to shut down all those voices. Um, union organizing and their leaders, campesino organizing, student organizing, all of that uh, is being shut down. Their leaders are attacked and then and then they go after, you know, the members of the organizations. And uh, we specifically saw that in Cusco with a, with a student organization. And, uh, and we did take all their testimony. <laughs> so I will also say just for, uh, for the audience, I will include um, our, our delegation preliminary report uh, in the notes, as well as, uh, as a link to see some of the photographs that, um, that we took not not um evidence but just things that you know we took on the street ourselves as delegation members and so so what have we what have we overlooked here i mean it's um what more should we expand on i mean the 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 state oppression is is enormous you know there's one thing i should mention about that with state oppression because there is a national state of emergency in place. And so 
But for some people, you won't overtly see uh, the oppression and the and the disruption. For example, when we used the uh, the airport in Lima, and uh, and then I also used the one in Cusco, you can no longer drive in to the airport. They're controlled by the military. You are, whoever takes you to the airport drops you at the curb on the carretera in front. And then you have to show your ID, your passport or your cedula and your boarding pass to the national police in order to enter the airport parking lot. And then you can walk to the departure uh, terminals. We, we experienced that Lima to Cusco and Cusco back uh, to Lima, when we arrived on international flights, we were able to have people come in and pick us up inside the airport, but they had to stay in their cars and they could only drive to the international wing for arrivals. They could not go in and drop us curbside inside the airport for departures. So, I mean, that's just one, you know, you kind of look at that as one small thing, but it also is huge in this, you know, in, in this, in the military control of the country at this moment. And so, Clau, you're, you are still in Lima. What, what has, what's happened this week in Lima since, since uh, we all left on the 13th? <laughs> um, same, same escalation of violence. Um, so you said you were in um, Plaza de Mayo before. Um, a few nights ago, they, uh, uh, which they hadn't, they tried not to do um, to the center in Plaza de los de Mayo, um, but they started gassing us in there, um, started taking all of the um, food that was donated to us, uh, mm -hmm. immediately started arresting people using um, using batons and started shooting tear, um, the rubber bullets. Um, so that that an escalation uh, of violence has been happening. What it, what also has been happening is more reports um, have been coming out of the massacres uh, in Ayacucho mm -hmm. uh, and, and various reports in Arequipa and um, in Puno, right? And I'm I'm, I'm sure more reports are going to keep coming out uh, in Cusco. I'm sure uh, there have been reports that are coming out and video reports. Uh, next week I'll be traveling to Puno with. Um, some of the delegations from um, with the Consejo Plurinacional, uh, and and we'll also be filming, uh, taking uh, accounts, um, and also making some videos uh, to start distributing immediately. Um, and but so a lot where of can the audience find your happening. videos? Where can the audience find your yeah. reporting? Why don't you share? Yeah, that? you. Um, <laughs> You, you can find the reporting that I've been posting. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so you can find the reporting that I've just been posting independently um, on my Twitter account. Um, it's at Violin's Ghost. Uh, and, and Black Lines also notes. republishes everything. Okay. Thank you. Black Lines for Peace has been republishing absolutely everything. So if you can't find it on my own, they'll absolutely have um, okay. everything that I've been posting. Um, and uh, so yeah, so next uh, next week we travel to Puno, um, and we'll see. Uh, you know, we understand too that um, a lot of the delegations that have been coming up from the south are now now going back 
to mm -hmm. the south uh, with a change of strategy. And we've been seeing here, right? So uh, I guess it was a couple of days ago that the uh, coup regime declared the center of Lima state of emergency. Yeah. No protests allowed anymore near yeah. exactly near the area that you were in. And I have to say, I was uh, I was right behind you guys while you um, when you had that line uh, with the rest of the delegation. I was filming you guys um, as we were as we were being walked corralled out. A couple streets down on Hiron Lampa, they did start tear gassing people there yeah. because there was no international delegation. Yeah, we heard that. We heard uh, the canisters. Yeah, absolutely. They, they didn't want to do it in front of international press or the cameras, yeah. but they had no problem doing it a few streets down the road. Uh, we've gotten a couple um, reports coming in from uh, from folks that day that, that people were injured. And, and as the compañero Leonard was saying, um, one of the compañeras I met here, uh, who's originally from uh, Ayacucho and and migrated to Lima for for the uh, educational opportunities to, for her children, but has been saying I think I think she's only been here for uh, a couple of years now, um, but was when we were talking she was she was just crying the whole time about how much racism she has experienced here since coming, and she's she's seeing that there's uh, her family is just. They're not advancing in any way, right? Uh, even though her son is able to take several classes and everything like that, these are opportunities. Oh. I lost your audio. No. Uh -oh. There, you're back, I think. Okay, okay, yeah, perfect. Um, okay, so, um, you know, she, she was just explaining to me how how bad things have been here since she's gotten here um and that uh, one of uh, a few weeks ago she had gotten hit with a rope bullet and she will she tried to go to the hospital but they like uh compañero Lima was saying um the fiscalia the, the essentially prosecution here uh already started making uh, uh denouncements right mm -hmm. uh they, they opened up an investigation against her so she had to she had to leave and and try to get healthcare uh, elsewhere, um, right? So we, this is something we've been seeing with a lot of our compañeros, they, they don't go to the hospital, but we try to get uh, independent medical uh, brigades um, or, or really any, any first aid to try to help them outside of the hospitals because they don't want to go through an investigation. Uh, just carrying a placard in the middle of the street does not, should not carry a death sentence. And, but this is what's been happening to our people. Uh, thankfully, and, and this is great news that I can actually report out, um, one of the compañeros from Moncabelica who uh, was shot at and, um, with a tear canister to his head, who had been in the ICU for the past few weeks since January 28th, he actually finally woke up yesterday. He's not speaking, uh, but slowly um, we're, we're all very much uh, hoping and uh, behind our compañero, that he will actually recover, and he will be speaking about what happened that day. Uh, that was the same night on January 28th that um, our our compañero Victor um, was was killed and and uh, shot at at close range from the uh, national police. Uh, that same night, we had several injuries um, in Rolando's uh, case. He was in the um, ICU and in a coma, um, but thankfully, like I said, he just woke up. So 
that's that's something that you know we've been celebrating the past couple of days. Um, uh, but yeah, that's the the repression continues, and and also too, yeah, like you were saying, uh, right in the with the airports, the military is there and asking everyone for IDs. Um, there is the uh, Esquadron Verde here, which is a part of the National Police as well. Um, so anywhere you're in the center, anytime you're in the center, they if they see you and feel like uh, asking you for your IDs, you just have to give it to them. Uh, no questions asked, right? So certainly uh, the the multiple uh, meetings uh, that we've had um, where where you guys had the press conference as well, every time people start leaving and they look like they're not from Lima, they, they get asked for their IDs. Uh, so they, they, well, and they look like they're not though. from Lima because they're not white, quote unquote. Because they're not white. It's exactly. that racial profile. I mean, it is overt racial profile. Exactly. I mean, if you have any sort of indigenous uh, features, um, yeah, your your point. We 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 saw that directly. It's particularly in Cusco, we saw that directly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so everyone, I want to really uh, I want to give a huge shout out to our interpreter today, Jill. Um, Clark Golub, who um, so graciously has donated her time. She can stay with us for about five more minutes. So I would, is there, if, while we have her here, um, Laner, is there anything we should, that you want to add in, in, a, in a couple minutes? Oh. Bueno. Si, rápido, no? Yes. Very quickly, this discrimination and racism has become a line in the demonstrations. And furthermore, it has convened these, uh, gotten these demonstrations to be larger in a certain way, because in the peace marches, we proved the, the discrimination and segregation here in Cusco, even more for the original peoples who came to work, uh, some who came uh, to work with the police. They detained 10 people and they're investigating them for uh, rioting and for disturbing and obstructing the public way. So there's a line of stigmatization and normalization of this behavior. And we, within a rule of law, should not allow this. This is why my request for you in the international media is to publicize this because that's a great alternative for getting out of this conflict that we're experiencing. Now the people who uh, hold power are judge and jury. That's a great problem we have in our region, particularly in the South. And very, thank you very much, Terry. And I also thank Jill, uh, the interpreter. I know that there's much more that we would like to discuss, but this has been an interesting session and I hope we get to do this again. A warm embrace to all. Thank you, Laner, and I just remind the audience that Laner's driving us uh, joint has uh, joined us live from Cusco, Peru, and the Clau is in is in Lima. I, I just the Laner mentioned normalization, and that's so true. The normalization of the violence, the normalization of the racism. Five hundred years of normalization uh, of this attitude and behavior and it's it's so so uh overt and also i would just 
share that the two themes that we heard, our delegation heard, the whole six days we were there from all ranks, all the all uh, factions of protesters, don't abandon us. And also, as Lehner has said, uh, get uh, get the news out into the international community. There is state and uh, control of the media and private, or you know, as in the United States, the, the major media outlets are owned by private individuals and corporations, and they, of course, are all uh, have a right wing narrative. And so that is a big part of what we are attempting to do uh, today. So I want to thank both of you so much for making time to join us. You are both so busy uh, doing great work. And we will continue to uplift your work and your voices. And I hope you can join us again. We can keep, you know, following up on uh, on, on what is happening in, in Peru. And so just for the audience, I want to remind you that Clau O'Brien Moscoso is with Black Alliance for Peace. You can follow her on Twitter. I'll share her Twitter handle. And um, as she said, you can follow her through Black Alliance for Peace on their website. Black Alliance for Peace is also, i uh, remind all of you, uh, a broadcast partner of this program. So we're honored to have one of their members with us today. And then uh, Lehner, of course, is in Cusco working with uh, Human Rights Without Borders, and you will see a good part of his work in our delegation preliminary report, which I will also put that link in the program notes. It is currently in Spanish. For those of you who are English uh, only, for the time being, please translate via Deepal. And we are working on an English uh, version of the report, but it just wanted to, we just returned on the 13th, 14th and wanted to get the information to the international community ASAP. So right now it is uh, Spanish only, but uh, we all want the world to see it. So um, I'll just remind the audience, you've been watching What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean. We are a popular resistance uh, broadcast. You can catch us on YouTube every Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. YouTube channels include The Convo Couch, Code Pink Action, and Popular Resistance Org. Post-broadcast recordings can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you everyone for joining us this week, and thank you again to our guests, and a huge thank you to Jill clark Golub for, uh, for her interpretation today. So we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much.